0: This is David Tarkington, lead pastor at First Family. Thank you for downloading this sermon. For more information about our church, go to firstfam.org or check out my blog at davidtarkington.com. Isaiah uh, chapter 7, verse 1. I'll read it. Um, Well, I'll try not to go too fast, but uh, I'm sorry. You're probably not going to have fun spelling these. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. And I, I apologize to Miss Kate doing sign language. I would just say read Isaiah on your own, because I don't know how you do all that. And, and I'm, a, I'm confident that most of you did not wake up this morning and already read this. So verse 2. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. I know you can't believe that, but that's what it says. Are you guys with me? All right. This is the children's sermon. It's going to get even deeper in a moment. Hang tight. And he say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. And let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus saith the Lord, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass for the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is resin, and within 65 years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. Verse 10, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or deep as the grave or high as heaven. You can ask God for any sign. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary... <coughs> My eyes are losing it here. To weary men that you weary my God also. Here's verse 14. You might know this one. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You heard that one? So we had to get through 13 verses of things you might not have memorized to get to the one that's familiar for Christmas. But here's, there's a point here. I want you to get this. That there is a very dangerous thing that happens in churches and among Christians is this plucking verses out of context for the sake of a, of a program. And I want to make sure, even though you might not get the full context of that, that you understand that this verse is part of a huge story that took place 500 years before Jesus was born. In the land where there was political strife, There was a a split nation, Israel and Judah. Judah is there. The king of Judah is a man named Ahaz. Ahaz is of the lineage of the greatest king, as considered by many, in the Jewish culture and heritage, and that is King David. So Ahaz is his descendant. Ahaz is God's king for God's people at a certain time. At the same time, all the nations around Israel, or Judah, that nation there, There are economic uh, issues, there are uh, military issues, there are alliances, there are treaties, there are bad guys, there are good guys. And the nations around Ahaz want Ahaz to join with them as they are also, in their consideration, part of God's people to fight against an evil empire known as Assyria. But Ahaz won't do it because Ahaz is working his own plan. And he's making his own treaties, and he has his own ideas, and there's not much that's changed in global political maneuvering over the last 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 years, because what you see is sometimes nations will become allies with other nations that they really don't like just because they have common enemies. You know that's the truth, right? I mean, you can just do a little World War II history, and you'll discover that our nation, we allied with... The Soviet Union that really wasn't an ally but was an ally but because we had a common enemy that tends to happen throughout history over and over again but here's what you have happening here you have this this king who is considered a godly king and he's got this nation and he got this this story that's all over the place and here's what happens a lot in the Old Testament you have kings and you have prophets and the prophets come alongside the kings A lot of times the kings don't like the prophets because the prophets tell truth. And when the prophet tells truth, the king sometimes gets offended because the truth is about the king. And when a prophet speaks in the Old Testament, that's why we don't have prophets today. But when the prophet speaks in the Old Testament, he is speaking if he truly is a prophet, and there are tests for that. means he's never wrong. He's always telling the truth. Everything he prophesies comes to be. It's more than just telling the future. I think we've got a false idea that a prophet just tells the future. But the prophet is the voice of God to the people of God. So he is bringing the words of warning and the words of encouragement. They don't have the the privilege that we have today with the canon before us, the word. We can open up and read the verse. We get to read what he said through them. But when they said it to the people, they were the voice of God speaking to the kings and the leaders. So I want you to have that background before we go any further in this because this does matter. It may not seem like it, but it matters. Now Christmas is wonderful. You see the decorations. It's a beautiful time, Christmas Eve, especially on a Sunday, we are able to come together today like this and worship. And, uh, and, and I just saw a, a Pew Research did a, did a survey. Our Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission just revealed it that even in America today, I think it's like um, 90 to 95 percent of American population celebrate Christmas at some level. That doesn't mean they're Christian, that doesn't mean they celebrate in a religious sense, but they do celebrate the holiday. On average, it said that the average American spends $907 at Christmas in gifting. If you have not yet met that limit, may I encourage you to give to a nearby 501c3 nonprofit or you can make it out to D-A-V-I-D, <laughs> T-A-R-K, just spell it out. Even if you spell it wrong, they will probably catch it. So yeah, that's a lot of money when you think about that. And you think about the celebration, and, and I saw this one, that, that uh, 63% of Americans believe it's good or important, and they participate in some type of religious service on Christmas or Christmas Eve. So you're part of the 63%. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And yet, when you think about Christmas, we, we come. Up, there are extremes to how people celebrate the holiday. Whether they're Christian or non-Christian, whether it's a secular version of Christmas or not, you have these extremes. You have those people who are just super festive. You, you can tell, right? They just, they just love Christmas. I saw Caleb Gardner earlier today, and based on how he's dressed, I think he is loving Christmas. Where is Caleb? He has the red on. He's got the bow tie. He looks sharp. Makes me look bad. But they're the people, they just love Christmas. These people, they're decked in the red and the green, and and they have ugly Christmas sweaters, and they don't even know they're ugly. You know? You know, that's kind of a trend, the ugly Christmas sweater. Here's a word of advice. Just let me help you out. Never, ever go to anyone, especially anyone who is female, and say to them man i love your ugly christmas sweater because they might not mean it that way just saying If you don't get anything else you're welcome so these people they love the sweaters they love the christmas idea they've been playing christmas carols since october they have the lights on the house they keep adding more lights we're in florida there are no snowmen but they got the inflatable ones in the yards they may even have, I saw a neighbor down the street had one of these, saw it advertised. I didn't know nobody had those, but, but they, this neighbor actually bought it where you can project on your garage door Christmas scenes, or snow, and, you know, it's 80 degrees, but it's snowing on that garage door. And uh, I'm sure the neighbors love it at night, shining in their house. But they brighten up the neighborhood, they do. These are the kind of people that you live in the neighborhood with. Maybe you are these people, and that's good. This is all good, I'm not upset about it. But these are the kind of people that in the neighborhood get everybody else to agree. We're going to wrap that tree with lights. It's everybody's tree, everybody's mailbox. So the neighborhood looks similar and cars will come see it. It's nice. It's pretty. Or maybe you're in the neighborhood and, and I couldn't think of what it was called this morning. Uh, uh, somebody told me what it's called. But maybe you're you know, that, that neighbor that says, hey, we're all going to get those brown lunch sacks and put candles in them and set them in the front yard. You know what those are called? Luminary. See, I didn't know. I thought that was a character on Beauty and the Beast, but <laughs> in Texas and Mexico, I, I, I've seen those down on the board in Arizona, but, I, and I've seen them here too, uh, and, and I just call them lunch sacks with candles in them, but there's a nicer name, but it looks neat when the whole neighborhood's done it. So there are those folks that just love it. They love Christmas. They're a party waiting to happen, you know, and that's good. And then there's another, these aren't on extremes, they're just categories. Here's another category of the person that is the angry Christmas celebrator. You might know the angry Christmas person. These are the persons who believe that it is their, that an angel appeared to them perhaps and told them that regardless where they are, where they go, that if anybody dare to say season's greetings or happy holidays, they put them in their place. They're making Christmas great again. It's Merry Christmas, and they're angry about it. You know who I'm talking about? Merry Christmas. There. I'm going to stand before the Lord at the end of days, and he's going to say, well done. You ticked everybody off. Thank you. You were an angry Christian, and you you made them mad. But there's that group. And then there are those that um, don't celebrate the holiday. And they don't because they are of a different religion, different faith or no faith whatsoever. They just are anti-celebration. the Though that's a really small percentage, even in a secular society a growing secularism it's still a small percentage and these all, all these people exist and there are others as well and and everybody knows somebody like them and sometimes we are those people but there's another group too that uh, sometimes get get categorized in the wrong way they're having a hard time with christmas it, it's a different type of holiday it's changed for them. It's hard for them. It's it's not the way it used to be. And and others who don't get it just blanket categorize them as well. They're a Grinch. They're a Scrooge. Probably not. They might be living out Blue Christmas without Elvis's help. But they've lost loved ones this year. And all of a sudden, Christmas isn't what it was. And things are a little different. And No amount of Christmas cookies, no amount of eggnog, no amount of colored lights or getting in a car and going with family to look at them, watching old movies or It's a Wonderful Life or binging on Hallmark. Nothing is enough. And in the midst of trying really hard to do Christmas well, there's just something different. And maybe it's a void. Maybe a loved one who isn't celebrating this year with you. Maybe you're in that situation. Maybe you're like my good friend, Pastor Tim Maynard, across the river at Fruit Cove Baptist Church, who last Christmas celebrated with his wife, but this Christmas isn't because she died earlier this year. Maybe you can relate to that. I can't yet. I, I'm not there. I, don't, I, I pray I don't go there, but I can't relate to that, but I know some of you can. Maybe there's a void in your story. Maybe it's, it's not the death of a loved one, but maybe there are those who you used to be able to gather with, but are now... Um, busy they're grown up they're deployed they're maybe they're just estranged it's just the awkwardness and the images that rush through your mind of bygone Christmases can't be replicated and it seems the joy is gone and there are are more types of Christmas celebrators as well and I know we're all in here together with the kids and everybody else and so I know there some of you as parents are going oh just, just we're good just just we're good I won't keep you We're three hours and we're done we're good but there's a lot of extremes in this Christmas season and it's, and it's weird when I read this passage because I started with this Isaiah passage, which is such a weird passage and we're trying to say, okay, I want to have some joy this Christmas. I know it's a little bit challenging. Maybe I'm a, super excited about Maybe I'm not super excited. Here's what tends to happen. The super festive frustrate the, the ones that aren't and the ones that aren't frustrate the others. And so it's really challenging sometimes. So we go to this book in Isaiah, this book in the Bible, this weird christmas story maybe because we do sing about emmanuel god with us but we don't sing about ahaz and all the other names i mentioned earlier that's not the carol that we get and it's confusing and i don't know if it's confusing to you but as a kid growing up even in the church knowing that this verse says there's a virgin going to give birth to a baby they're going to name him emmanuel and i'm sitting in church grew up in church been in church my whole life going i thought his name was jesus I thought his name was Jesus, so how can it be Emmanuel? I know people named Emmanuel, and I know people named Joshua and Jesus. Those are not the same names. So why is the Bible true when it says his name is Emmanuel, but then he finally shows up, and Mary says, I'm going to name him Jesus? Well, you get a bigger picture here when you kind of see what's going on, and here's, here's the, the the warning against pulling verses out of context, making sure we read the fullness of it. So here's what's happening. Ahaz king of Judah, Isaiah, God's prophet. God speaks through Isaiah to the king. The neighboring nations are upset at Ahaz. They want to partner with him, but Ahaz is working a deal around them. He has aligned himself with other lands. And here's what Ahaz has done. Even as a son of David, even as a king of God's people, he has set up treaties, worked out secret deals, doing some political maneuvering, negotiating, and all of that other stuff. And he is trusting the honor of evil men to protect his people. He has forsaken God and trusted man. That's not unheard of. The guy who should know better has abandoned God and placed his trust in man. So God who loves Ahaz, even though Ahaz has abandoned God, God sends Isaiah and says this to Ahaz, Ask God for a sign, anything, from the depth of the grave to the top of the mountain, ask him. He will prove himself to you. He will rekindle the fire that you should know. He will remind you who he is. And you know what? That's what some of us need here today. Because there are many of you who are Christians, and some of you who are not. Some of you who are Christians, the joy is gone. And you're sitting here going, well, you know, I love Jesus, and I love church, but I'm just, it's just like, oh my goodness, let's just get through this. And I don't know how many of you have been camping out or anything, or you, if you've—I think we had one winter day this year—and so you might have put a fire in your fireplace. You know the good old Duraflame, the chemicals—it's wonderful. But if it's a real fire, if you've ever been camping, got to, you got—you know, know—you can you can have a campfire. You can have a fire in your fireplace, and you can keep stoking that, and you can keep adding wood, and you can keep that thing going. And if you leave it long enough, just leave it still, it will it will it will start—you know—turning to ash, and the flames will go down and. And if you look at it at a certain time, there's really no fire there. But you don't want to touch it because the, underneath, it's still really hot. And it might be a little orange under there. And, and here, you know how this works, right? The flames aren't going. But if you, you throw a little kindling on or another log on it and you kind of poke around in that, you can get the flames going again. And some of you, that's kind of what's happening in your spiritual life. You said yes to Jesus like I did as a kid. I was so excited when I became a Christian. I told people at my school that they didn't care. It was amazed. I was amazed that people that I knew in school in, my, in fifth grade, did not care that I asked Jesus into my life and became a Christian. I got baptized, yeah, big deal. Well, I didn't know any better. I thought people would be happy. But I got over that and figured out by about 9th, 10th, 11th grade that people didn't care, therefore I didn't need to tell anybody. That's what happens. And by the time between 5th grade, 10th, 11th grade, I did what many of our students have done too, many of you may have done. You asked Christ in your life, you did the church stuff as a kid, but all of a sudden you become a teenager, you become a young adult, and, and your childlike thinking. You, you, know, you used to do math very simply on your fingers, and now you're doing algebra. You're thinking differently. You're questioning um, this faith I have. Is it my faith or my parents' faith? Do I really know? Did I know enough? And all of a sudden you might find yourself like me, wondering, am I really a Christian? I'm in church every week. Let me just tell you, I was faithful in church every week, and it was not because I was faithful. It was because I had parents that refused to let me vote. Let me just go ahead and declare that one on Christmas Eve and get you all excited before you leave. Kids don't get a vote. Bring them, teach them, train them, read Deuteronomy. You get this. So I didn't get a vote. Church was not an option. I tried to get a job that forced me to work on Sundays. Mom, they keep making me work on Sundays. I go to my boss, would you work me on Sundays? Okay. But what happened somewhere between 11th and 12th grade, after kind of being all, trying to be all things to all people and being nobody to no one, I wasn't lost. I'd already accepted, I'd already surrendered to Christ. I was saved. But the fire had kind of gotten a little cool. It was still hot underneath, but there were really no flames. And God, I can't get into it today, but God stoked that fire. He reminded me who he was, and, and things changed. I mean, there's a whole lot of people probably in the room today that are, they just need God to kind of stoke that fire a little bit. You need to be reminded. But here's what Ahaz did. Let me, let me tell you what happened. God says, request a sign from me. I'll show you my strength. It'll strengthen your faith. That which you used to know and you ought to know, you'll know again. But in verse 12, it says, Ahaz said, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to a test. Now that sounds very spiritual and holy. And it does, because that's actually in the Bible. You don't test the Lord, you know all that. But, but, I mean, come on. God says, ask me. And Ahaz says, oh no, no, I shall not ask and put the Lord to a test. Why did he say such a silly thing? Why did Ahaz do the opposite of what God asked him? In this verse, Ahaz's hypocrisy rises to the surface. And in an answer that quotes a Bible verse... About not putting God to the test he reveals his lack of faith in God God through his prophet accuses the royal house of Ahaz and his family of wearying God yet in this very negatively framed passage there is hope in a story that seems to have absolutely no good news there is good news and that is the verse I read earlier about a promised child being born of a virgin and that they would name Emmanuel now prophecies work two ways There is the prophecy that is given to the people in their time right then and it happens and then there's this underlying prophecy that is fulfilled later. The underlying prophecy is the birth of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin who remained a virgin until after the birth of her son Jesus. But in the Hebrew, the word virgin initially means young lady. So there is somewhere a young lady in He has his time that has a baby. She is pure and a virgin until married, has a baby, and that baby... Emmanuel, is a reminder to the people of God in the Old Testament day that God has not forsaken them. But there is an underlying message, a double, a double hit here. Isaiah's prophecy is much deeper than the initial word. It's a weird story. It doesn't have a place for us today, we think, until we get the deeper meaning. And the Christian, let me just say, the Christian who only reads that one verse apart from the context of what is happening in the lives of God's people and in the world of Ahaz... The disobedient king will never fully get what God is saying here, will never have a full grasp of the grace and power of God through this word. Let me warn you of this. This this may be point two of something you don't want to forget. Out of context verses, you know, just pulling the verse a day, keeping the devil away, bumper sticker theology, looks good on a t-shirt, out of context verses can do more damage than not even reading the word of God at all. You can build a false theology on a a, a verse out of context that will drag you further away from truth than just not ever reading it at all. I believe that's true. Here's a story about a man named Ahaz, and the story is about hypocrisy, and the story is about trusting man rather than God, about disobedience, about smugness, about corruption. It's a story about trying to do things our way and kind of negotiating with God. It's a a story with a pseudo-spirituality. That's what makes it even more dangerous. It's a story of a man who is God's king for God's people, misusing God's word for his sake. And that doesn't sound like a Christmas carol. But that's where the Christmas carol comes from. Matthew, fast forward, four gospel writers in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They're all telling the same story. Four guys writing a story from God's inspiration through the Holy Spirit, inerrant word, written down for us to read today. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus Christ's story here on earth. Some cover the birth, some do not cover the birth. Some cover certain miracles and do not others. All cover the crucifixion, all cover the fullness of the gospel. But Matthew's is written to a specific audience. Any idea which audience? Who's supposed to read Matthew? The Jews. Now, we're allowed to, but there is a target audience. That's why Matthew starts with a genealogy. Let me just tell you, a Gentile does not care that Jesus comes from the lineage of David in the tribe of Judah. It wouldn't matter to a non-Jew. But to a Jew, it matters for their entire life. They've been told the Messiah would come from that lineage. And the Jewish people know that there are prophecies given by Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah and others that must be fulfilled for the man who is called Messiah to be Messiah. Now, we have nativity scenes, and we have those set up, and we have little baby Jesus. But let me just go ahead and preface this. If your Jesus remains a baby, you don't have the full gospel. I mean, you might have Ricky Bobby theology, but it ain't going to help you. If you're Jesus, I like him where he's cute and manageable. That's baby Jesus. If you do a Christmas story without the Easter story, you've messed up the Christmas story. That's like not even the full story. So, so let me get back to this. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, here's what the Gospel writer wrote to the Jewish people that we get to read. She, Mary, will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet then Matthew flips to Isaiah and he reads Isaiah's prophecy to the Jewish people saying this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now that is the Christmas story. This boy, this baby, Jesus, Jesus is God's son. But more than that, he is God the son. And I say that a lot and you go, what does that matter? It matters because if you think Jesus is just God junior, you have messed up theology. God is one God, three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. If you need that explained and be understandable, Shovel will meet with you after church. (laughs) Because it is not explainable. It is a faith step of belief. It's hard. It's hard to, how does that work? I don't know but i know it does god's presence has proven to be the greatest present ever offered with all the extreme responses to christmas through festivities and ignoring and depression and everything else sometimes we miss this let me just say we miss this nativity scenes christmas decorations lights candles carols and all the trimmings it's great it's wonderful that's not bad i'm not upset about any of that and you shouldn't be either but if you're not careful, if that's all you have, if that's all you've got, if that's your focus, if that's what you're known for, if you don't have anything beyond that, you might just discover you're more Ahaz than Joseph. Joseph was met by an angel. And Joseph, and a dream, after his betrothed, Mary said, hey, Joseph, I'm going to have a baby, but don't worry, it's God's baby. You figure out if you're a dude, are you believing that? So he goes to sleep and he's thinking, I got to divorce her i got to break this because it's going to humiliate her. I love her too much to have her go through this publicly. So he goes to sleep. An angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. That's kind of weird too. The angel appears and says, here's a paraphrase, Joe. it's all good. She is faithful. She has been faithful to you and she has been faithful to God and the child that she is going to bear is the son of God. You're good. Marry her. Take care of her. You get the gift of fathering and raising this boy. That's an amazing message. Joseph gets a message from God. Says, here it is. This is what I'm going to do. Ahaz gets a message from God. Just ask me. I'll prove to you how good I am. Ahaz says, I'll do it my way. Joseph says, I'll be humiliated. This may not be fun, but we're going to do it your way. See, Joseph believed. And let me just warn you, if your Christmas misses that, you might be more Ahaz than Joseph, and we don't want that. So let me just tell you as we wrap up, Joseph shows what happens when you listen to God and obey God with us is Emmanuel There's a lot of lonely people over the holidays And you can be lonely in a house room full of people You could be lonely in a church full of people But God has promised that if you know him if you've surrendered to him if you are one of his that Jesus has come for a purpose the boy was born so that he could die And he died for the sins of humanity he had to, or we would all have to die. He did it for us. And he promised us that this God with us, you are never alone, you are never abandoned, you are not trapped in a memory or a question of what could be or should be or what ought to be or what, it, what, what I wish it would be. You are given the promise of who God is. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Then, now, and forevermore. We're going to end our service with a couple of baptisms. So I know we have some folks that are getting ready to be baptized. I'm going to just go ahead and have you make your way up behind the, the stage here. We'll, we'll transition really quickly and we'll get you out. But I want to make sure that, that we focus on this and our, our ushers or deacons that are going to help with that. And we'll close with a, a song and then two baptisms. But let me, let, me, let me just wrap this part up as they're making their way up. Last night, Drace said something. Drace was preaching the word of God and God spoke through Drace and I, needed, I, I heard something I needed to hear. I am the one who, I, you know, I said, we're going to preach this series, God With Us, and Emmanuel. We started with some Old Testament passages, worked our way up. And it was as if as, as the message was being preached last night, as the music, and we were singing last night, I, I heard what I had said, hey, we'd met, we'd prayed together, God With Us. But here's what God really just kind of revealed through the reading of his word. There have been times over the last few years I've been really focused on God being with other people. You ever have those prayers dear Lord be with them dear Lord help them dear Lord change this person Dear Lord save this person and those prayers are valid and good. So don't stop praying them But it was almost as if I was saying but God I I want you to do this for him I want you to be with him. I want you to be with her. I want you to do this And the message was I got that but Emmanuel is God with us get this God's with me And in my prayer for everyone else, sometimes I forget that this great God who created it all and His grace and mercy has chosen to allow me to know Him and has promised that He would never leave me. And I still pray for others, and you should as well, but don't miss that. I shared this before. We have a tree out in the front. You may have a Christmas tree at your house. You may have $907 worth of gifts under your tree on average. But just imagine you, you bought a gift for a loved one, maybe your child or a grandchild, and, and you have a gift and you've wrapped it up. I mean, you really wrapped it, you didn't just put it in a bag with paper on top. You wrapped it. There's nothing wrong with that, that's what I do. But I'm just saying, it takes a little more time. And you lined up the cut. I mean, the, it looks pretty. It's taped well, it's got double sided tape. And it's under there, and the name is written on it, and it's for your loved one. And you know they're going to love it. Now, because there comes a time, I mean, it's hard to believe, there comes a time in our life when the gifts we get, we want to see how they're received. There was a time when I just wanted to receive, but then you want to see how they, if they like what you got them. Now, just imagine it's that day, everyone's opening the gifts, and you look to your loved one and say, right there, there it is. Did you get that gift? There it is. And they look to you, and they say, oh, that's nice. I think I'm going to just let it stay there. You go, what? let's just leave it there. At some point, it's offensive, and it's hurtful, and it's sad. It's offensive because, do you know what I did to get that? I wrapped it. I bought it. It's hurtful because you don't even care, and it's sad because you're missing out on this really cool gift. And it sounds so crazy in our life because who would do that? But here's the fact. People do it all the time and there are people in this room that have been doing it for years. The greatest gift ever given, the greatest present at Christmas is Jesus Christ. He is perfectly positioned and wrapped and waiting and your name is on it. He has a gift for you and God is saying, I've got the great, here it is. And, you, and people say, they do, they go, oh, no thanks. I'll pull an Ahaz. No thanks. Far be it from me and it's hurtful, do you not realize what I did to give you this gift? And it's offensive, seriously? Dying on a cross for this gift? Life is a and it's sad because you're going to miss the greatest gift ever. That's what Christmas presents is about. God with us, but you have to receive the gift.